Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Call it a year or so ago, seven months ago, right before Omicron hit, we were excited. We were reopening venues seven days a week, pushing our hours of operations. And all of a sudden, the world kind of came crashing down a bit again. And there's really nothing you could do to make up for that. So we learned those lessons of, all right, let's pace ourselves a little bit. We're now going to take our Social Eats brand and what we're operating as this next generation of mini food hall. And we do expect to grow it across the country. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. The jury is still out on food halls. For some brands, they're a blessing. And for some of us, they're a curse. There is something about the model that seems foundationally broken to me, and I'm not the only one that sees it. Today we chat with John Koloski, who's reimagining the food hall from the ground up. He's thinking big while working small, and the results are inspiring. I was super fortunate to start my career with Four Seasons Hotels. Awesome exposure, living in the city of Chicago, got to work in literally every single department of food and beverage. Uh, they kind of threw me in and I got to see restaurants from casual dining to fine dining. I got to work in stewarding and be one of the dishwashers everywhere. I got to be in banquet events and really set me up to understand what the hotel life was like and what the restaurants can be like. I loved it got to grow with them, ended up making my way to another company called Montage Hotels and Resorts. They were in their first year of operation. So I got to see kind of the startup of what really is becoming the next generation of a Four Seasons Hotel, that great luxury and service and style. And I got to see what it takes to build that, which was super cool for me. From there, met these great guys that were building another startup called SBE. We were just in the beginning phases of this group that was based in LA, uh, kind of caught at the perfect time an opportunity to join them and spent the next seven years of my life living out of a suitcase, opened up about 70 different venues with them worldwide, opened up hotels, restaurants, helped out wherever I could and really was able to see what the world was like from the hotel F&B standpoint, the freestanding brick and mortar concepts, all the way on down to fast casual as it was developing. And then all of that just really prepared me and got me super excited. The timing was right. I could jump and make my own move and be able to start my own thing. And I made that decision to do so and create K2 Restaurants. Let's go back to SB. What year did you start with the company? It was 2010. Okay. I mean, yes, you caught them right at the beginning of this massive scaling operation. Yeah, we at the time had really five restaurants 
that were based in the LA area, right? one hotel. And I think we had like two lounge nightclubs that were open. And over those next seven years, we grew that to 77 restaurants worldwide through acquisitions and openings. We had 26 hotel properties, I believe, and about another 50 some lounges and nightclubs globally. So before you started K2, what did that education look like? Did mentorship play a role? Mentorship played a huge role. And I'd say it goes all the way back to when I was at Johnson and Wales University. I wanted to be a chef. I was one of those kids that just loved being in the kitchen. I went to a vocational high school and had an amazing mentor there, Chef Jill Zanke. Well, when I got to Johnson and Wales, I met a gentleman, Melvin Davis. He actually used to run the dining room at the White House, had awesome experiences, owned his own massive catering company and restaurants and all these things. And he was kind enough to really take me under his wing and help mentor and develop me. He also convinced me to put a suit on and go to the front of the house and get out there and meet the guests and do my thing and just really was great at helping to develop my understanding of what a career path could even look like and what the differences were between being in a kitchen, being out front, how you married the two. And and ultimately, that led to my life and where I'm at today is really because of mentors like them. And along the way, I've had mentors in literally every single company I've worked for, from Four Seasons to Montage to SBE. And even as I started up my own, I have other people who have really stepped in and they don't take credit for it, but they should because they've really helped me develop into the person that I am. I'm based out of LA and have been for 20 years now. And SBE is a very comfortable company to work for. It's a large company. There's plenty of opportunity for growth. Sam Nazarian started with a kajillion dollars and now has more. And so making that entrepreneurial leap when you're coming from a place of discomfort, I think is a relatively easy decision. Obviously, still hard, still risky, but coming from a place of comfort, that entrepreneurial leap has to be paired with a mission or a vision that you want to get across to your community or the world at large. What was that vision? It's a great question. I was coming up on an opportunity to continue on that path and grow and develop and continue leading the group that I had built up. Or that challenge of when I was a kid, my first restaurant business was the quintessential gourmet hot dog stand. I was 13 years old and I owned a hot dog stand at an amusement park where I had grown up. That to me was just so rewarding and so awesome to do that. I had started up another company along the way when I was in high school and had friends of mine working for me. And there's just something about that that was so unique that as I was getting older and approaching a certain age, I knew that either I continued on that path and being able to have perhaps a little bit more of that comfortable life or just jump out there and do something meaningful and really be able to apply what I had learned over the past 20 years of my career and ultimately do it my way and be able to have some fun with it, bring together the people that I wanted to work with in doing so, and really be able to start to look at how we can shape hospitality for the future. And I think as, you know, really COVID changed a lot of our direction and made us have to pivot a lot. We had to change things often and the vision changed, but ultimately we continued on this path to really creating and operating experiences that make us proud. And I'm just out there trying to do things that I feel like would make my family proud. 
what is K2 and what was the initial vision for K2 and how has it evolved over time? So the initial vision of K2 was really to incubate and operate. We did everything from consulting agreements, management agreements. We were partnering with groups in retail and helping them to open up stores and do what they needed to do. We were helping out hotels and developers be able to space plan multi-hundred thousand square foot developments. And so we really were doing everything in the realm of hospitality. And it was really meant to be build these kit of parts and gain this experience on our own, where it was through K2 and not through another company, and be able to say, we've done this, we have experience in this, and we funded this. I self-funded the company, and we're going to build it the way that we need to build it to get the experience so that we can get the opportunities later that we ultimately wanted. And so as we were doing that and opening some restaurants and helping out with some things people were doing, we really started to shape the idea of our first big concept, which is social eats. And Social Eats was and is meant to be the future of food halls. And our idea was that the food hall was broken. We had operated in a number of them over the past decade and really from fractured marketing efforts to no purchasing systems across the board to every guest that walks in, everyone's competing for them. We thought the best way to do this is take that and make an all-encompassing food hall one leadership team, one ownership of all the concept, partner with great chefs up and coming or known, and do something super fun to be able to bring people together and work together to execute the food hall vision. You do have some amazing chefs on board. How did you get amazing chefs on board with such an experimental concept? And collaboratively, what does that relationship look like? Chefs, I feel like, love the opportunity to be creative. And they want the support so that they can focus on what they want to do, the creation of new dishes, the marketing elements that they're super comfortable with, the exciting press things or meet and greets and events that they get to do. But they also enjoy having somebody who can do the nuts and bolts, the back end. We call it the things that no one really wants to do, the accounting P&Ls, the weekly inventories, you get into some of the marketing and PR that needs to be done, the build outs and the development, all of that we were able to take off of their plate and allow them to express themselves. And whether that was established chefs or bringing in some up and coming chefs that I had worked with or met through my career and be able to take a vision that they had and pull it together and bring it to life. I think in our world, there's a lot of people who love to talk. Everyone wants to open a restaurant. Everyone gets excited and tells you they'll be there with you. And then they don't show up when the work needs to get done. We're the ones who would show up and get the work done. Well, and that seems like a massive blind spot. I think for so many of us in the industry is that operational efficiency at scale, right? Or that operational infrastructure. You know, if someone was to ask me, and nobody has, but if someone was to ask me, does the world need another restaurant? I would say, absolutely not. I'm sure we're fine right where we are. But I do think that there are plenty of people out there that deserve a restaurant, but they lack the operational expertise outside of culinary. And so they can't have a restaurant or they have a restaurant for six months before it goes out of business because they don't understand the business of running a restaurant. And if someone was to ask me to explain what your overall vision is, it's that you say, we're going to let the culinary experts do what they do best and we're going to handle everything else. 
Absolutely. Completely agree with you. And I think that's the hardest part is for people who haven't perhaps opened a restaurant before or worked in a restaurant that decide that they want to follow the path to having a restaurant. There's so much to it. I mean, the day to day, of course, you got to wake up and open the doors and make sure people show up on time and cook the food and be consistent all day, every day. It can be repetitive. It can be boring. You got to keep it exciting every day to motivate people. And oh, yeah, you also have to worry about the sink that just started leaking. Something happened with the air conditioning unit today. The trunk of my car is filled with tools because every single day there's something else that we got to jump out there and fix and work on and continue to pay attention to that you don't really think about when you see these beautiful restaurants and what people are posting on their social media feeds of, oh, look at what I've opened. It's like there's so much that went into making sure that that table was set the way that it's set and that it's always set like that. And it looks that good. Well, and you look under the hood at K2 and you see that it's a very different business model. When I look at the team that you've cobbled together, I mean, these are COOs and CMOs, and these are people that work for large, successful corporations that are able to bring that breadth of knowledge into a much smaller restaurant operation, which really only works if you and you are operating at scale with multiple concepts and multiple locations. Talk to me about the process that you use to couple together this team. What were the gaps in your own expertise that you were looking to fill? Oh, absolutely. Many gaps. And I think I'm super fortunate. My CMO, Julie, is phenomenal. We had worked together previously, and she really brings a unique eye to not only marketing, but branding and helping to name concepts, to develop concepts, to be able to carry that on through to how it speaks to our guests and to the marketing world. We've got an amazing PR company, Dog and a Duck, who have helped us get the word out there for years and years and are just super awesome at understanding what we're good at and how to be able to package that and tell that story to the world. Architects that come in and not only are doing the architectural work, but helping to do design elements, friends of ours who are able to come in and help do interior design and lighting and all these things that really can balance us out and give us the opportunity to do what we're good at, focus our time on getting the restaurants up and running or building the brands and menu engineering, all the fun and boring stuff of food costing and pricing and supplier controls, all of that we got to do. All of these other people are really able to jump in and help us out and do what they need to do to be able to make us successful. And if it wasn't for all of them and our chef, Luis, who's just amazing and been with me on and off for like 20 years now, Without people like that, there isn't a company, right? We're a collective of all these amazing individuals who are following this vision that are opening up operational experiences that make us proud and we're excited to work there and it's different than being in a big company, but there's something unique about being perhaps the underdog, perhaps one that people look at and go, oh, they're doing some fun stuff, but they're still a little company and that's cool to us because everyone does start somewhere and eventually as we grow and we open up more concepts and we continue to scale some of these brands that we have, it's really cool to see everyone who's got this personal investment into our success. You mentioned that it was self-financed, which is a painful statement to say, no matter where you are in the process. It's just a big gamble. And when you make that massive investment in both effort and capital in opening a single unit restaurant, it requires undivided attention, like massive amounts of maniacal 
focus. How do you open half a dozen restaurants simultaneously and apply that same level of maniacal focus? (laughs) Yeah, I think it goes back to that team and having the right people in place who are able to execute what needs to be done. And we are super fortunate. And LA is an amazing place to be able to start a business. The talent pool here in our industry is second to none. I mean, who doesn't want to come out here for the sunshine and the palm trees and to be able to work in the restaurant business? So we've been able to attract some pretty amazing people who execute on the day-to-day for us. But there's definitely its challenges. I mean, it's been absolutely insane over the last couple of years here trying to navigate these waters and understand what we do. But really for us, it's about staying ahead of the curve. It's about making sure that we're very responsible with where we put our money, perhaps in a case where we'd want to open up a restaurant that's you know, 2,000, 3,000 square feet and do all these amazing things. And we realize, well, that isn't the financially responsible way to go right now. Let's open up this 550 square foot pickup window and test out this other concept and see if this works and do those things so that as things get better in our world and things come back to us, we're ready to be able to grow because we've just been spending the last couple of years grinding and experimenting and testing and evolving our concepts to be ready for this next phase. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. Let's talk about that evolution. So Social Eats opens. It's a food hall. It's large, like 10,000, 11,000 square feet. How did that work? How was it infected by the pandemic? And how has that concept evolved over the last few years? So as Social Eats, the 10,000 square foot food hall, nine separate kitchens, the idea was to be able to cross-utilize space, have one dish area, one commissary prep area for everybody to work out of, and then be able to have separate executing hotlines and cashiers to be able to provide service to the guests. And as COVID hit, unfortunately, with the restrictions here in Los Angeles, we had to pretty much close everything on down. We took what we were doing in the food hall and said, we're going to try and keep as many people employed and continue to do as as much as we can for our community through whether it was feeding seniors at the time or working with Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen doing tens of thousands of meals for our community. But we needed to do this in a much smaller space because we couldn't keep the big food hall open. So we figured out a way through trial and error for a year We boiled down really seven concepts to execute out of one kitchen line. 
and through cross-utilizing product and making sure anything that came in the door needed to be used at least three different times on the menu so that it had enough space in a fridge or on a dry storage shelf, we were really able to evolve Social Eats as this big footprint food hall into what is the next generation of a multi-concept restaurant. Our newest location, we're open from 7 a.m. and we're serving coffees out of Adelaide Coffee Bar, our coffee concept, and that transitions into lunch and dinner. We have 150 menu items and we're running it out of an eight foot long hood in the back. And really for us, that was the exciting part about going through all the trials and tribulations of COVID was that we were able to leave that moment in time and it was painful and we lost a lot of what we had worked on for years, but we're able to come out with this great idea and this super efficient concept that's extremely flexible and moldable that we're now going to take to the world and be able to grow. And we get to hit all different day parts. We get to do everything from counter style service to drive-throughs and be able to really provide our guests with the most amazing experience And everyone could find something that they're looking to eat from tacos to burgers to coffee to chicken sandwiches to sushi to pan fried noodles. We're able to execute it all and do it in a way that we feel is done at a high enough level that people can continuously be excited about it. Through creating those efficiencies, what do you think an independent restaurant owner operator that's listening can learn from the decisions you made and the lessons that you learned? If you're super passionate about something and you keep trying to make it work and, you know, the efficiency isn't there, your food cost isn't there, you can't prep this item and and keep it at, let's say it's a 30% food cost, the quality of it isn't great. Sometimes you just need to walk away from the idea. You can come back to it at another time, but trying to force items to work in our restaurants never worked. I'll take responsibility for it. I get excited about something. I want us to do this and let's try this and let's do that. And whether there wasn't the space to be able to execute it on the hotline, there isn't enough storage in our refrigerator to prep it so that we could keep the production time down to under 10 minutes from the time we started to the time it's to our guests. All of those things come into play. And if it's not working, I think sometimes it's best just to step away from it, write that idea down and pick it up again later. But Keep moving forward in finding those efficiencies because every single day you've got a massive task when you're running a restaurant. Focus on the things that keep you excited. Focus on the things that are truly making a difference and keep yourself in a good place because there's a lot of things that are going to try and take you down every single day. You just got to rise above and keep executing and keep pushing forward. How do you make over 100 menu items out of an eight-foot hood and they're all great? Or do you make compromises along the way? How does that work? So great question. We do not compromise. And I think that was the hardest part, getting this concept on down. And and I've always said this throughout my career when people ask me about different concepts we've done and they're like, oh, we're thinking of doing that. We'll be in competition. I'm like, dude, I'll give you our recipes. I'll give you our training manuals. I'll give you our culture manual that we train our staff and our leadership team on because it all comes down to execution. And for us, it's about execution all day, every day. And again, we've got awesome team members and it takes some time to get them up to speed and the efficiency, but it's muscle memory. 
and the way things are set up in our kitchens, they're all set up the same. And when you go to reach for something and you remember that it's there, you start moving quicker and you're able to execute all of these menu items in under a 10 minute ticket time because of the way it's set up. And I think that was the biggest task in getting social eats to the level that it's at, where we could execute six, seven, we've got eight concepts out of one of them, where we're able to execute it and make ourselves proud. It's like, we went through those struggles of doing it and just dropped the items that didn't make sense, accentuated the other items that do, and really worked on how you can be an efficient prep kitchen that's ready so that you could do everything to order, do it at the highest quality, make everything in-house, but also, again, get the guests their food at a price point that they're happy with, that feels fine, fast, casual, and get it to them in under 10 minutes. Nationally, food halls are a mixed bag. Some have worked incredibly well for the landlord and the tenants, and some are just money pits. When you look at where you've been, you know, in 10,000 square feet, where you are today and 1,500 square feet, what do you think the future of the food hall is? And what separates the ones that do well from the ones that do poorly? I think it's that relationship and the people that you're working with truly make the difference. And if you find a great project, and I've looked at dozens of food hall opportunities in literally the last 90 days that have come to us and they're looking and whether we do you know, the Russian Dow version of a food hall and we drop our mini social eats food hall in someone else's food hall, or we do a standalone concept, we're looking at these and what it ultimately comes down to is the people that we're connecting with. Do they understand our vision? Do they understand our concepts? Are they helping to promote the greater good of the food hall? Or are they just there to be able to make a profit? And I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of companies that are out there that incentivize and excite and entice restaurant operators and restaurant creators to come into their projects and then they just bury them in whether it's the monthly licensing fee or the monthly rent and then the added on cam charges and the additional electric. And if you don't have enough storage, great, we'll sell you storage at $100 a shelf a month or 200 bucks a shelf a month in the refrigerator. And before you know it, there's no money. There's literally right. no money left. And so it comes down to if you find the right people who get it and you're an amenity for the building or there's another engine that drives the revenue or you're just in that right place at the right time, great. But I think in the end, it truly comes down to working with the right people, the right developers, and those who understand the arc of a restaurant and truly how long it takes to build up the right clientele, to work through the operations, to find the right staff to help bring these concepts to life and give you that leeway. What is your new customer acquisition strategy? What are you guys doing to drive awareness and traffic to the restaurants? So from an Instagram standpoint, it's two posts a week. It's three stories that get put up on there. From a TikTok perspective, we're doing two posts a week that help drive to the main website, theordersocialeats.com, so that we raise awareness around that. We have Google ads that are running, that are running on a local level so that if you search for, say, dinner in the Hollywood area, you see us float to the top of your search so that people can see that and see the pictures of us and see all the food and go, oh, I didn't realize everyone can eat dinner here. There's something for everybody in my family or my friend group or my office pool. So we drive traffic through that way. We've done mailers in the past to our local area 
so that we hit you know the one mile radius, the two mile radius in some locations where we drop in the coupon. We're new to the neighborhood. We'd love to have you come and experience us, come and check it out or order through our online website and get free delivery. So we're really trying to hit on all different types of marketing to do that. And then when we get them in store, it's the true marketing. It's easier to keep them, right? So for us, it's about executing and consistency, make them love the food, get that word of mouth so that they're telling their friends about us. We have a great loyalty program that's essentially 10% back so that people get hooked in and really understand that we value them as regulars. We want them to come back often and just kind of keep that full circle marketing tilt so that they're in with social eats. And that variety also helps us because they got different reasons to come to us on different days. And then in terms of repeat business, so you've got the loyalty program. Are you communicating with your customers on an ongoing basis? And if so, what do those conversations look like? We are. We have an email database that works through our point of sale system. You know, we've been super excited about what Square has done over the last couple of years with marketing integration, the loyalty program integration, and our ability to reach back out to our guests. That's been huge for us. In-store and the relationships that our team has with our guests are second to none. We've been super fortunate with our location that's on Wilshire Boulevard. We've got a bunch of music companies, radio stations, etc. that are in our building that help get the word out. They're our biggest fans. They're also the types of companies that we're now catering events. And you know, we're catering events from 10-person lunches to 300-person, call it tray pass and stationed catering events within their office or offsite. And so all of that is really through that word of mouth and that connection, that in-store we're having with our repeat loyal guests. I would think that that's a massive opportunity for you, right? Your expertise is operational efficiency and ultimately manufacturing, right? And I think for many independent restaurants, that catering, that large format takeout, that's a huge missed opportunity because you can spend a lot more money marketing for catering in large format and get a much higher ROI than you kid going customer by customer. How big is that vertical now for you? And how much focus are you putting around growing that vertical? In the beginning of launching our newest location, let's say catering and events was less than 5% of our revenue per month. Right now, we're looking at that being closer to about 25%. Right. And it's going to continue to grow. And I think the great part about that is the more of those events you do, the more assets you have to market with and being able to talk about that. And those companies that we're doing the events for, they're asking to put our logo on their invites. They're asking to put it on their step and repeats for their events, really to help us out. And I think that's a great benefit of being still a small company and people having that direct connection with us. But that catering and event world is huge because it is exposure and it's getting it out to a lot more people than what we could do to your point of one guest at a time walking in that front door or perhaps seeing us on a delivery app. The connection there is real and the value that we get out of that relationship is really second to none. When you look back over the last three years, and granted, there was a global pandemic in the last three years. But when you look at yourself and your individual performance within your company, what are some mistakes you've made throughout the last few years that you think that 
others could learn from and that they should avoid? It's a great question. We have had many. I think as we look at the day-to-day operations of a restaurant and being able to ensure that you are operating efficiently, a restaurant that doesn't make money doesn't stay in business very long. Yeah, unless you have somebody who's got a lot of money who just wants to keep funding you and keeps you open so they can say they own a restaurant. That does happen. But for most of us, it's about having to perform. And I think sometimes is we have the best intentions and we believe that others have the best intentions to help us, to work with us, to deliver our promise to our guests. Sometimes we spend more money than we should. Sometimes we're a little more forgiving than we should be because financially nothing's forgiven right? It's zeros and ones. And when rent is due and when you have bills to pay, you've got to pay them. And sometimes you need to make those hard decisions now to make life a lot easier for you. And if you drag things on, if you're not making the tough choices, whether it comes to scheduling and staffing efficiencies, whether it comes to looking at your suppliers and saying, hey, I know the cost of produce gone up 23% in the last four weeks. Like We can't absorb that cost and pass it along to our guests. Like We've got to go out there and start looking at other competitors in your world. If it's the price of meat, same conversation, seafood. If it's looking at our own product and saying, great, like we love being able to offer X, Y, and Z, but we just can't justify this type of an expense or this execution cost in labor, make those decisions now. You'll feel a lot better about them, but it's hard. The restaurant industry is tough. It's known to be tough. It's no secret anymore. It's out there in the world that perhaps there are way too many restaurants and not enough people going out to eat at them at this current time. But if you're doing the right thing and you believe in what you're doing and you have the right people around you, it's going to be okay. What does growth look like for you, for social elites, for K2? It obviously started as a big concept with a big vision and a big footprint. As you look to the future, are you thinking big or are you thinking small? Definitely thinking big and being cautiously optimistic about the ability to grow in the current climate and not wanting to get too far ahead. You know, the call it a year or so ago, seven months ago, right before Omicron hit, we were excited. We were reopening venues seven days a week, pushing our hours of operations. And all of a sudden, the world kind of came crashing down a bit again. And there's really nothing you could do to make up for that. So, We learned those lessons of, all right, let's pace ourselves a little bit. We're now going to take our Social Eats brand and what we're operating as this next generation of mini food hall, and we do expect to grow it across the country. We've been looking at locations on the East Coast. We've got some LOIs and some leases that are in the works. We've got a couple of other opportunities in the Midwest that we've been looking at, and of course, continuing to grow in California. But really, our focus is going to be on doing that responsibly. We want to go over the next five years here with a pretty aggressive plan. We're also looking at different ways to raise some capital around the business and exploring some options that will help us be able to take a little bit of that burden off our plate and give us that growth capital to be able to get out there and, and allow people to experience social eats. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Absolutely. Keep pushing. At the end of the day, believe in yourself, believe in your team, invest in yourself, invest in your team. 
always look at the future, keep it positive, keep it exciting. We know there's going to be negatives. We know there's going to be problems. We know that there are challenges, especially right now in what we're doing. But if we keep our heads up and we keep pushing forward and we make progress every single day, we're going to look back in 30, 60, 90 days from now and be like, that was worth it. Let's keep moving forward. That's John Kowalski. For more on K2 Restaurants, visit k2restaurants.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.